Welcome to the Steadfast Podcast, beginning of February 2021. This week, we are going to continue our study in the book of Job. Um, we're going to talk about a fellow named Elihu. And strap in because we're going to cover some chapters today. And it can get a little long, it can get a little exhausted after you notice going back and forth through the book of Job. I encourage you guys to stick with this because the whole point to going through verse by verse of scripture is very important. You stick it out. And we're going to get to the end of Elohu's conversation and then God's going to pop on the scene, right? But we're going to cover this in its entirety, the six chapters, because we don't want to break it up just like we did last week. So open your Bibles to, to the book of Job, chapter 32, and we're going to dig in. We have come as far as Job chapter 32, now verse by verse study chronologically through the uh, 66 books of the Bible. In Job 32, a little recap. God had said to Job, had said about Job that he was an upright man. This is according to God. But Satan said, the only reason he serves you, God, is because all you ever do is bless him. So God allows Satan to come against Job and on two separate occasions. The first one, he came against his wealth and his family. Um, basically, everything we could think of, humanly speaking, was taken away from him. The second time, he lost his health and his excruciating pain with Boils on his body from head to toe. But to Job, the biggest thing he lost was he didn't sense his connection to God anymore. So we have had chapter after chapter now of Job going back and forth with his friends or associates. And they, they say to him, Job, you, you, you must have some kind of secret sin because you wouldn't be in the situation if you if you were innocent. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And I appreciate you guys being patient with us as we go through, because some of it can get kind of exhausting, right? Some of it kind of repetitive. That's really the point of this book. If the point is man goes along and exhausts all their wisdom, then God is going to step in. We often go through our week. With that kind of mindset, that kind of things going on, uh, hearing nonsense. Like we, hear, we hear nonsense on the news all the time, if you watch the news. Or you may have hear nonsense at work, nonsense on, in our social cir circles, social media. But here's the thing. We believers, because we have that personal relationship with God, we can go through those things without stressing out and blowing our top. Because what we have is the, an internal perspective. We know the who. We know God. And that's what this book is all about. When man can exhaust things and they can say things that is nonsense, okay, we're, we're, we can stay even keel. We can stay high upon the Lord. Because we know the who. This book has nothing to do with why this stuff was happening to Job. Although we know that. We know the why because we read chapter one and chapter two. But Job doesn't know that, and he, he won't be told the why by God. He's not given the reason to why. 
But what he will have is a revelation of who? He will have a revelation of God. He'll have an encounter with him that sets him on the right path. It's all about knowing the who. It's all about knowing Jesus. And that's exactly what Job needs. He needs that personal encounter with God. The same thing all of us need today. So we're going to have one more individual that's going to pipe up. We're done with the three friends. And Job's words have ended up to this point until we hear God speak. There's one young man that's going to speak up. His name is Elihu. He apparently had been listening to the banter going back and forth. He's a young man that, that really, he's going to have six chapters worth of declarations. And we're going to go through the six chapters. We don't really want to break this up. Um, but we'll go through rather quickly. Some may see Elihu as prideful and arrogant in his account. I don't really see that. I don't really think it is. He says things definitely in a poetic way, as Job is a poetic book. He says things in a poetic way, and, and, and he says things in a way someone would, with wisdom may speak in that culture. It is a more of a cultural thing. And Elihu, the truth is he really thinks he's going to make a difference before Job and his friends. I, I believe he really thinks that. And out of all the friends or associates, he seems to be the most considerate. Seems to be the best associate of them all. He actually, uh, we'll see from what he says, he actually listened to Job's arguments. And he'll say some true things about suffering. And um, and he's going to say um, true things about what leads to sin and all this. He's going to say a lot of true things. And one of the things is sometimes God does put us in our situations of suffering for our benefit. And he's going to, he's going to, we'll get into this later, but he's going to touch upon that. Uh, sometimes uh, we're put in certain situations also to keep us from sinning. Okay, If God didn't have us in this situation, we'd be somewhere else sinning. Sometimes that happens. He's going to touch upon that. I mean, with Apostle Paul, uh, he actually put a thorn in the side of Paul. We don't know exactly what that was, but we know that he put a thorn in the side of him to buffet him. It was a protection. He can also bring suffering in our lives to develop us. Elihu is going to say some truths we're going to dig into, but in all reality, they didn't deal with Job's situation, even though they are true. So let's dig in. Job chapter 32. And we are doing translation from Hebrew to English. We'll probably stick with that um, as I've been diving in and because we want to know exactly what it says in the Hebrew. Sometimes it may sound a little bit like broken English, and then we explain it. Um, but we want to know exactly what it says. So Job chapter 32, verse 1 says, And these three mortals, these men, ceased answering Job, for he was righteous in his own eyes. And then the hot anger of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, came against Job, his anger was hot because he justified his soul rather than Elohim, rather than God. And against his three associates, his anger was hot because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. And because they were older than his days, Elihu had waited to give words to Job. And Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men. His anger was hot. Elihu, whose name means my God is he. That's his name. And names absolutely meant something in the Bible, especially in these days. So it appears it was name meaning my God is he. Um, he, he seems to have grown up with the knowledge of God. Elihu is going to be upset with Job. and He's hot here with anger because... Job defended his innocence. But the way he did it, in all reality, Job did come against God's reputation. And that's what Elihu's mad about. And you can understand why he's, why he's mad. 
Job, in his frustration, did come against God's reputation. I mean, if Job just defended his innocence, Elihu would have kept quiet. That appears to be the case. But because he comes against God in his pain, Elihu is upset. Elihu is right on in that aspect. Because uh, uh, Job crossed the line, and, and there's a few spots that he's going to have to repent for. Now, Elihu, in his response here, is going to take some of it a little too far, but he is right on that aspect. But again, um, Elihu, he, he's going to seem to defend God. God doesn't need a defense, though. Elihu's going to try to speak on behalf of God and, and defend God. God doesn't need that. Now, as far as Job is concerned, in anger, anger can make you do and say things that you normally wouldn't. We've all been there. And the tongue, it, it can be a dangerous weapon, and we end up saying things and regretting it. Anger can lead you down that path. And there is a line that, that, that can be crossed. If your anger has control of your life, then we got a problem there. Job's anger got him to the point where he said some things about God that he's going to have to repent from. Now, there is such thing as righteous anger. Anger is not a wrong thing. God gave us anger for a reason. There is righteous anger. And Job has every right to be angry with his friends. They indeed were miserable comforters. But the scripture tells us to be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but without sin. There's a line that is crossed. Again, if your anger has control of your life, has control of your mind, your emotions, it's not going to turn out well. When we are angry, the best way to deal with that anger is a, like the old Petra song, get on your knees and fight like a man. Prayer. That's the best way. And guess what happens? When we come into God's presence in prayer and we leave it there, he really, he really puts out that anger. It puts the anger in its proper place. The battle, where does it belong? The battle belongs to the Lord. Okay, so we lay it upon him. And for us, what do we need to do? We need to rest upon him and just abide in him. Now, Elihu, he's going to be angry at the other associates also, not just Job. He's going to be angry at the other friends because they kept pushing, hey, Job, you have some kind of secret sin, secret sin, or you wouldn't be in this case. And they're saying this without any proof. And that's why he's going to be angry with them. You didn't prove nothing. And then they stopped talking. What, you, you, you're all done talking? You have nothing to say? Job is throwing God under the bus here all over the place and you have nothing to say? You did nothing to deal with the situation. You, you, you've been no help and, and you're letting him talk to God this way? Now, Elihu would agree that he had no proof of Job doing anything wrong for his situation. But he definitely did wrong by some things he said about God. And Elihu's right there. Verse 6. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, answered and said, I'm inferior in days. That means I'm younger. And ye are are, are ones. You're, you're, you're the gray hairs. Therefore I skulked, and I was afraid to declare my knowledge to you. I'm younger, so I waited my turn. Verse 7, I said, days should speak, the ones that are older, and many years should make known wisdom. That's his, that's his thoughts, and that was a cultural thing, and that, that's, there's wisdom in that. Elihu did right, especially by their culture, to listen to what the older people said. They were to be well-respected. If your hair was gray in that time, it was a it was a badge of honor to have gray hair. Nobody nobody was dyeing their hair in that time. Elihu is right on here, though. Uh, I mean, even though we respect older people, your age doesn't determine your wisdom. He's right on. Your fear of the Lord and your growth in righteousness and His Word that's what determines your wisdom. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the, uh, the scripture says. And to continue wisdom is obedience and righteousness and growth through the word of God in a personal, um, intimate relationship with Almighty God. It's not based on age. There are indeed many older individuals in this world, many older individuals in government and universities and entertainment, music, whatever you name it. There are many older ones that are not wise at all. And in fact, they may have a horrible influence on our culture. Indeed, we should have respect for those that are older and those that are older in the Lord. Okay, they, 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 they probably have some things that we can learn from them. But it all depends on your relationship with God. After all, what did Jesus do? Jesus left the kingdom and its work in charge by a bunch of men in their 20s. The apostles, right? Just young guys. Jesus left the kingdom among these young guys. It's not, it's not necessarily an age. It's, it's relationship with the Lord. Maturity. But Elihu waited to speak. Oh, we're going to let wisdom speak first. But you guys aren't wise, he said. Verse 8. Surely, spirit is an immortal. A spirit is in a man. And the breath of who suffices that should die, the Almighty, his breath gives him understanding. Grand ones are not wise, nor do the old understand judgment. Therefore, I say, listen to me. Indeed, I will declare my knowledge. Behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your understanding until ye investigated declarations. And I considered ye, and behold, not one of you corrected Job or answered his sayings. Elohu is saying, you didn't convince Job by what you were saying, that he did anything wrong. And he wasn't the only one. You didn't convince me that he did anything wrong. Your words were, out, were, were without wisdom. You didn't do anything. You didn't prove anything. Verse 13 says, Lest ye say we have found wisdom, and El and God will whisk us away, not man. Verse 14, And he has not arrayed declarations against me. I will, not, I, I will not reply to him with your sayings. They are dismayed and answer no more. Declarations, are, they shift from them. Verse 16, and I have waited because they did not speak, for they didn't stand to answer anymore. Indeed, I will answer my portion. Indeed, I will declare my knowledge, for I am full of declarations. The spirit of my belly constrains me. He's full of declarations. Indeed, he has some declarations. He has some words to say. In fact, it's six chapters worth. And actually, he might have had more than six chapters worth of things to say, but God's going to interrupt here. Verse 19, it says, Behold, my belly is like wine that has no opening. It is rent like new skin bags. I will speak, and it is ventilation for me. I open my lips and answer. Elihu is saying, this is going to be my ventilation. All right? Let me vent, or I'm, a, I'm about to explode. Just like wine in those days were in wineskins, all right? If there was no ventilation for that wineskin, okay, no place for it to be ventilated, it, it, could, it could burst the wineskin. It's ready to pop. And Joe says, oh, that's the way I feel. I need to ventilate. I need some ventilation. I need to get it out. Elohim says, or I'm going to burst. Verse 21. Let me not please respect the faces of man. Let me not flatter humans. I do not know how to flatter. In a little, here's what would happen. My maker would carry me off. And he goes, continues in chapter 33. But please, Job, hear my declarations and give ear to all my words. Behold, please, I open my mouth. My tongue speaks in my palate. Some see this as arrogance here, but this is really um, poetic and, and cultural uh, language, the way uh, wise people would speak. Verse 3 says, My sayings from my upright heart and my lips out of pure knowledge. The Spirit of El, the Spirit of God here, has made me. And the breath of who suffices should die, the mighty. His breath gives me life. If you are able, reply to me. 
array to my face, station yourself. Behold, I am as your bitter to El. I'm your bitter to God. I also have been twitched from the clay. The idea here is, uh, well, if, if you remember back in previous chapters, Job had said, if only there was a day's man, an arbitrator, a mediator, somebody to stand between me and God. I can't connect to him. If only somebody could come in between us. This is what Elohu says. Elohu saying, it's me. I'm the one. Okay, I'm the one, the bitter here. I'm going to stand in between. I'm your bitter unto God. I'm speaking on his behalf. Dangerous there. Pretty bold to say. Um, and not really a smart thing to say unless you know for sure God has spoken to you. Verse 7. Behold, no dread of me will frighten you, nor will my palm, my hand, be heavy on you. Verse 8, yes, you have said in my ears, and I have heard the sound of declarations. I am pure without transgression. I am overspread, and there is no depravity in me. Job didn't say that in that context. But Elohu and his three other friends heard that, and they're pushing that. Job did say, however, that God wasn't treating them fairly, but he never said he was innocent. He was just saying that he's innocent in the present circumstances, the reason he's suffering. Verse 10. Old, he finds repudiations against me. He reckons me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He observes all my paths. And look, sin, sin wasn't the reason Job was in his condition. That's not why he was that. We know chapters 1 and 2. Job definitely has sinned with his words and his pain and his circumstances. And, uh, and Elihu here is repeating some of the things he said. And he's right to, to come against Job for some of these things. Verse 12. Behold this. You are not righteous. I will answer you for Eloah, for God, much more than man. For what reason? Why do you contend with him? For he does not answer any of you any of his words. Elihu again is right. God is sovereign. He doesn't have to answer to anyone. He can do what he wants, when he wants, to whomever he wants. Now the good thing about this is we as believers, we know, without a shadow of a doubt, we know that we have a good, good father. And those of us that are his kids. Born again, he works all things together for good for us. We know that. But he is sovereign. He can do what he wants. Verse 14. For El, for God may speak in one way or in another. The man doesn't regard it. In other words, Job, you say that God is silent. Maybe he is just speaking in a way that you don't understand. For example, verse 15, he says, in a dream, in a vision of the night, in the falling of stupor upon man, and slumbering on beds. Then he reveals the ears of mortals, of men, and seals their discipline. Elo is right here also. God can speak through many mechanisms. He can speak through a dream. Now, that doesn't mean all dreams are from God. Sometimes it's just, your dreams are just a dream. It's just processing the events of the day or whatever you heard. Maybe something you saw on TV before bed. Uh, maybe it was what you ate. Too much sugar, too much this. But God can talk to people in dreams. And he has. In the last days, he will speak in dreams and in visions, it says in the scriptures. And he has in the past. So Elihu is right here in the sense that God uses many mechanisms to speak. And maybe, Job, you're just not hearing. Verse 17, to withdraw human deed and conceal pomp from the man, from the master, he keeps back his soul from ruin. Maybe that's why he wants to protect you and keep back his soul from ruin and his life from passing away from the javelin. And he, he's corrected in pain on his bed with contention and multitude of his bones, perennial. Okay, so. 
Elihu is touching on that sometimes we do suffer. And maybe we suffer because it's preoccupying us. God is preoccupying us from something we would get ourselves involved with if we didn't have the suffering. Sometimes that's what's happening. It's true. Sometimes God does that. God can use difficulties in our life to keep us relying on him. To keep us from things getting so easy that we head down the wrong path. See, not all suffering, of course, is, is this way, but it can be. C.S. Lewis, the famous uh, author, says that God speaks more clearly through our pain. And many of us have found that to be true, right? I believe often we get closer in those moments when things are hard. Verse 20. And his life abhors bread. The soul yearning food. His flesh vanishes from sight and his bones are made ridges not seen. They're sticking out. And his soul draws near to the ruin and his life to the ones that are putting to death. Verse 23, here's another way God could speak to you. He says, if there is a messenger for him, a translator, one among a thousand to tell human his uprightness. And he is gracious to him and says, forfend him for descending to ruin. Keep him from descending to ruin. I have found a propriety shelter. I found a shelter for him. His flesh should become hail. That's that, that's fresh with youth. It's going to become youthful. He shall restore the days of his adolescence. He shall entreat to God, and he will accept him. He shall see his face with shouting, and he restores to man his righteousness. He regards man and says, I have sinned and depraved the upright. And it did not compensate me. He will ransom my soul from passing into the ruin. And my life shall see the light. Behold, God contrives all these. Two times, three with a man. To restore his soul from ruin. To be enlightened with the light of life. He says, hey, God could speak to us in many ways. He could speak to us through a messenger. To bring us to repentance and to receive forgiveness and a personal connection back to God. Absolutely. What we see here, this is the gospel, right? Elihu is speaking the gospel. But it, but what he's telling him is not true in Job's case, though. That Job hasn't done anything to put him in his circumstance. He doesn't need to repent from this situation. Other than he does need to repent of some words he said about God and his frustration. But as far as him being in his situation, he doesn't need to repent for the reason he's in his situation. But Elhu's right, right in principle here. This is a gospel message. Repentance indeed is the only way to save us from all ruin. It's the only way. So. Amazing here, before the scripture was even put to paper, we have an understanding of the gospel here. There was no scripture. They didn't have the scripture during this time. But the, Elihu has a, a right understanding um, of God's mercy and his grace and repentance and forgiveness. Listen, um, if you have ever blown it, whether an unbeliever or a Christian, You know that uh, heading down a path that the Bible says is wrong, it's not beneficial. You know heading down the wrong path has never benefited you. It only brought ruins. But here's the thing. Just like spoken of here, talking about a ransom for your soul, there is restoration available. So whether you're an unbeliever or a believer today, we all need to come to him. Okay, if you're coming to him for the first time, congratulations. Your life is going to be changed. If you're one that has believed but has backslidden and you're coming, congratulations. He will deliver you. He will restore you from your ruin. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, Christian perfection is not perfection of performance but rather perfection of relationship. That's what it's all about. 
It's all about the relationship in humble uh, humility. We humble ourselves in genuineness. We gotta be genuine. If you have a genuine repentance, He will deliver you. You will see the light and experience the light. Verse 32 says, Hey Job, if there are declarations, reply to me. Speak, for I delight to justify you, Job. If there are not, listen to me. Be silent and I will teach you wisdom. I got some things to say. Chapter 34. And Elihu answered and said, Hear my declarations, ye wise men. Give ear to me, ye who have knowledge. For the ear tests declarations, and the palate tastes to eat of. In other words, he's saying, Job, okay, you have nothing to say yet. I got more stuff to say. In other words, I'm going to bring you a big meal here. You're going to taste this. Job, get ready to feast upon my words. They're going to be tasty. Verse 4 says, let us choose you judgment for ourselves. Let us know between ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am just. And El, and God has taken away my due. Against my due, my, my judgment, do I lie? Mortal is, a uh, man is my arrow without transgression. What man is like Job? He drinks derision like water. And he goes on a path for partnership with those who contrive lawlessness and to go with wicked men. For he has said, Elihu's saying this is what Job has said. He has said, it profits a man nothing when he accepts with God. Well, Job indeed did say that God's been treating him unfairly and he's, he's been unfairly judged. But he never said in that context that, he doesn't, it, that it doesn't profit a man to walk with God. Job is all for God. That's what he's missing right now. That's what he desires. Job, he's just, he's just not understanding his circumstances. But Elihu's correct. It just doesn't deal with Job here, but he's correct that it's always profitable to walk with God, even if we don't understand, and Job isn't understanding right now. Even if we don't understand our current circumstance, it's always profitable to walk with God. Verse 10. Therefore, listen to me, you men of heart. Far be it from El, from God, to do wickedness. And from the Almighty, the one who suffices should die. Uh, far be it from him to do iniquity. For he repays man to his contrivance. And man shall find according to his path. Elihu is trying to say, you always reap what you sow. Now, in general, that's right. But he's not right here. That's not that's not an absolute. As a general principle, yes, you reap what you sow. As a as a absolute principle, yes, in the end, if you sow unbelief, you will reap eternity in the lake of fire. That is true. But the truth is, if everything is reaped and so, then every single one of us would go to hell, right? That's what we deserve. We all deserve to go to hell. So, yes, in general, the reaper and sow principle works, but God's grace breaks through that principle. So, yes, it's still true in general, but God's mercy and grace breaks through the sowing by the Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Indeed, truly, God does not do wickedly, nor will Shaddai, the Almighty, who suffices pervert judgment, who gave him supervision over the earth? Well, nobody did. He's God. And who placed all the habitable world? If he should place his heart on it, he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath. All flesh would expire together, and humans would return to the soil. And if understanding, hear this. Give ear to the sound of my declarations. Indeed, does one who hates judgment bind up? And will you condemn? Who is abundantly righteous? Who has said to a king, worthless, to patrons wicked? In other words, Job, if you won't call a king worthless or wicked, why would you come against the ultimate king, God, and say, and say you've, you've judged me 
think uh, you should judge me wrongly. Verse 19. That has not respected the faces of chiefs, nor does he regard the Savior. Uh, in other words, the, uh, the, the, the one with more, uh, more than the poor. God's not a respecter of persons, okay? He doesn't have any bias. Because for they are all the deeds of his hands. In a moment, verse 20, in a moment they die in the middle of the night. The people are shaken and pass away. The sturdy are taken away without a hand. For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. There is no darkness, nor shadow of death, for the ones that contrive of lawlessness to be concealed. For he does not place on man any more to go to God in judgment. He smashes sturdy ones without investigation and installs others instead of him. Therefore, verse 25, he recognizes their services. He overturns in the night and they are crushed. He slaps them as under wickedness in the place of the one seeing in their sight. Because they withdrew from after him. It would not contemplate any of his ways to bring unto him the cry of the poor. And he hears the cry of the humbled and his quietness who shall condemn. And he conceals faces who regard him against a nation or against humans alike. From the reigning of a, a polluted human, a, a hypocrite, and the traps of people, the snare. For unto God has anyone said, I am born. I do no harm. Apart from what I perceive, direct me. If I have contrived iniquity, I will add no more. By you, does he repay her that you have rejected, that you choose and not I? And what you have known, go ahead and speak. Man's uh, Men of heart, they say to me, wise master, who, who listens to me? Job speaks without knowledge. No, he doesn't. Job has some knowledge. His words are without intelligence. No, Job does have some intelligence. Verse 36, my will, this is hard here, says my will is that Job be tested unto permanence. Ouch. Because of replies for lawless men. So he's crying out to Job and he's saying, hey, Job, listen, you need to make a choice. You need to repent and turn to God. Job would love to turn to God. He, would, he wants to meet with God. He doesn't need to repent for his circumstances. He needs to repent for some of his words, but not his circumstances. And Elihu lays it on. He says, maybe, Job, you're testing. Maybe you just haven't been tested enough. Okay, Maybe your testing needs to be more permanent. Maybe you're t uh, that, that's pretty hard. That's pretty hard. Job's in a pretty rough situation. But he's pushing that on him, and it's it's some tough stuff there from a supposed guy trying to help him. Verse 37 says, for he adds transgression to his sin. He slaps among us. In other words, he's clapping his hands, and he increases his sayings against El, against God. This kind of gives us an idea of what was going on. While the other three friends were talking, Elihu somewhere listening, while they were talking, apparently there were times when Job would be around clapping his hands. Now, in that culture, you couldn't interrupt somebody that was speaking. Really, it should be in our culture also. We've kind of westernized that, and uh, um, people like to interrupt. But in that culture, you definitely wouldn't interrupt someone that was speaking. But in order to not interrupt, if you had something you really had to say, you'd be over there clapping. Apparently, Job was clapping. He's got something to say, but he's waiting for you to get down, done. He's kind of so that he wants everybody to know I totally disagree while there's clapping. Okay. So this going back and forth that we've seen, it was not civilized banter at all. Job was clapping his hands and and anticipating coming right back at him. This was indeed a uh, pretty heated argument. Chapter 35. And Elihu answered and said, This you have reckoned for judgment. 
You have said, my righteousness is more than L. My righteousness is more than God. You didn't say that. But you say, what does it profit you? What do I benefit from my sin? I will reply to your declarations and your, and your associates with you, your friends. Look to the heavens and see. And regard the skies. They are more lofty than you. If you sin, what do you contrive against him? And your transgressions are many. What, what do you do to him? I mean, is there anything? I mean, I mean, if God's done something to, to you, is there anything you can do to get God back? Is there really anything you can do to him? Verse 7, if you are just, what do you give him? Or what does he take from your hand? Your wickedness is for a man like yourself. And your righteousness is for a son of a man. Because of the multitude of extortions, they cry out. They cry out for the arm of the grand ones, the mighty. And no one says, what? No one says, where is God, my maker, who gives song in the night, who mentors us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of heaven? There they cry, and he does not answer because of the pomp of the evil ones. It's a correct statement in that if someone is not genuine in their crying out to God, if it's just passe, if it's not it's not real, God's not going to answer them. That's correct. If you're just playing church, if you're lukewarm, if you're going through the motions, but again, that's not the case with Job, but he's correct in that statement. Verse 13, yes, L, God will listen to futility, nor will who suffices the almighty El Shaddai, nor will he regard it. And dead, uh, in, indeed, though you say you do not regard him, adjudication is before you, and, and before his face, and you must wait for him. And now, because he has not visited in his anger, nor has known exceeding diffusion, and Job opens his mouth in vain, he makes abound declarations without knowledge. Chapter 36. Elihu also proceeded and said, Bear with me a bit. I will disclose that there are still declarations from Eloah, from God. I'll bear my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe righteousness to my contriver. For truly... My declarations are not false. One who is flawless is in knowledge with you. I hope he's not talking about himself, but he's rather saying this is because he's supposedly speaking on behalf of God, that God is the one flawless with knowledge. I would hope that's what he means. Verse 5, behold, El, God is abundant and doesn't reject, abundant in vigor of heart. He does not keep alive the wicked and gives due to the humble. He does not diminish his eyes from the righteous and kings on the throne. He has seated them permanently and they are elevated. And if one is bound in, in manacles, uh, seized in the lines of humiliation, and he tells them their contriving and their transgressions that they have made themselves men, masters, he also reveals to their ear to admonition and says that they turn back from lawlessness. In verse 11. If they listen and serve, they shall spend their days in good and their years in pleasantness. And if they do not listen, they shall pass away by the javelin and they shall expire without knowledge. And the polluted in heart are, place, are, are placing anger. They do not cry for help when he binds them. Their soul dies in youth and their life among the hallowed male prostitutes, is what the language says. It says, verse 15, he delivers the humble in their humiliation, reveals their ears in oppression. Indeed, he incites you from the mouth of distress. Instead of it, a wide place where there is no restraint. And what rested on your table will be full of sleekness. And you are filled with the adjudication of the wicked. Judgment shall be upheld. Beware, lest fury incite you inadequacy. And a vast sheltering gift would not turn you aside. Does his arranging or your imploring keep you from distress? And all the resolutions of vigor, strength? Verse 20. 
Do not gasp for the night, for the ascension of the people from, from under them. Beware, do not turn to lawlessness, for you have chosen this rather than humiliation. Behold, El, behold that God is impregnable by his vigor, his strength. Who directs like him? Who has called to account on him his way? And who has said, you have contrived iniquity? Remember to make huge his, uh, his contrivance, that mortals, that men have sung. Everyone has perceived it. Man looks on from afar. Behold, God is huge, and we do not know the number of his years, and there's no investigation. When he draws up drops of water, they filter rain from its humidity. When the sky drops down, they drip in multitudes on humans. Indeed, does any understand the spreading of thick clouds, the tumult of his boots? Behold, he spreads his light over it and covers the roots of the sea. For by them he adjudicates the people. He gives food in abundance. He covers palms with light and commands it to intercede. His shouting tells it, and the cattle also on the coming up, speaking of the storm. So Elihu, in that chapter, and we're going rather quickly through this. A lot of it's repetitive. Elihu speaks on forever. Okay, we're trying to get through Elihu's speech. And next week, where God steps in. Right, but Elohu here is he's trying to consider the awesome power of God in this chapter. Hey Job, you know how awesome God is? Consider it, Job. If you would just have a little reverence of God, a little reverence for God, and he's going to continue that thought in chapter 37. And it may be indeed that what he's seeing, he's actually, as he's speaking, seeing a storm literally coming as he's speaking about the awesome power of God, and the storm is on its way. And he's using that illustration because God will soon appear to Job out of the storm. Verse 37, uh, chapter 37. Indeed, at this my heart trembles and loosens from its place. Listen attentively to the disturbance of his voice, the, the thundering, and the soliloquy that comes forth from his mouth. He sends it forth under the heavens, his light over wings of the earth. After a voice roars, he thunders with his pop voice, that thunder sound, and he does not restrain them with his voice is, is heard. El, God thunders marvelously with his voice, doing great things which we cannot know. For he says to the snow, be on the earth, and to the downpour of rain, the downpour of rains of his strength. He seals the hand of every human, for all mortals, all men, to know of his deeds. The animal enters into his lair, and the tabernacles in its habitation. A tabernacles in its habitation. From the chamber comes a sweeping whirlwind, storm, and cold from the one's winnowing. From the breath of God, ice is given. The wide waters are constrained. Indeed, by soaking, he encumbers the thick clouds, scatters his light clouds, and the ones going around turns itself by his guidance. Uh, that whirlwind, for they contrive all he commands them on the surface of the uh, battle, um, uh, uh, of the earth, of those that dwell on the earth. Verse 13, and here's some reasons for the storm, for these different things that happen. It says, whether for the club, what would you use a club for? Punishment, right? Whether for the club, for his land, or for kindness, he finds him. Interesting here. Uh, reasons God sends a storm according to Elihu, right? The first one, whether for the club, God may send a storm to punish. Maybe one of these hurricanes or tsunamis is indeed the judgment of God. We can't be dogmatic about that, um, but there may be absolutely the reason God sends certain things, certain natural disasters. Um, according to Elihu here, one of the reasons is to punish. Sometimes he sends a storm to benefit the land. Sometimes it says it's out of his kindness. Interesting, I think, this passage. I do believe some hurricanes or other weather events, that sometimes they may be the punishment of God. Elihu continues. Verse 14. If ear to this, Job, stand and consider the marvelous deeds of El of God. Do you know when Eloah, when, when God places over them, it causes the light of his cloud to shine? Do you know how the thick clouds are balanced? 
the marvels, the flawless one in knowledge. You whose garments are warm in the quieting of the earth from the south wind. With him have you stamped the skies, the steadfast ones as, as a cast mirror. Verse 19, inform us what we should say to him. We can arrange nothing because of the faces of darkness. Is it told to him that I speak? If a man were to speak, surely he would be swallowed up. And now they cannot see the light when it is glinting in the skies. The wind is past and cleanse them and, and, and clean them. Job, here's the thing. Job, you have said you want to take God to court. Remember that? We talked about that. Elihu said you want to take him to court. How are you going to speak to him? How are you going to do that, Job? He said, you can't even look at the sun without turning away. Sun's in no comparison to the glory of God. How are you going to stand before God Almighty if you got to turn away from the sun? What are you going to speak? What are you going to do, Job? Good point. Verse 22. Your rise from the golden north with Eloah, with God, is fearful splendor. The one who suffices, the Almighty that should die, we cannot find him. Huge in vigor, in strength, judgment, and abundant righteousness, he does not oppress. Therefore, mortals, Therefore, men fear him. He sees not any wise of heart. So, we made it through. Elihu, six chapters of speaking. And some of it, very true. A lot of it, very true, actually. Many things, though, don't pertain to Job. And some things did. I mean, Job has said some things that he's going to have to repent for. And Elihu is right on about the three friends as well. They did not answer Job. Now, again, when Job said these wrong things, put yourself in his shoes a little bit. Job, no doubt, was speaking out of pain and said some things that he will repent for. But remember the beginning. Don't ever forget the beginning. Job was upright before God. His situation had nothing to do with sin. But rather, God is teaching the angels and everyone else a lesson. That Job, um, didn't, Job didn't follow God just because he blessed him. That's the lesson. Job followed God because he is God. And that's enough. Because of who God is, not just what he can do for him. He followed God for him. The blessings are, are just an addition because he's a good, good father. It's a great benefit of being the child of the king. Now, Elihu was really the last of human effort to rectify the situation. Right? They exhausted. His friends exhausted until they could say no more. Elihu, he's exhausting. Right? You might say, yeah, we went through six chapters. It was exhausting. He exhausts everything they can do by man. Now, when God pops in next week, we're going to get into this. We're going to notice Job's three friends, he's, they're going to be rebuked. Elihu is not going to be brought up. He's not going to be rebuked. Now, we don't know why. Some suggest, well, maybe God just decided to ignore him. I don't believe that's the case. Because I think Elihu is genuinely trying to help his friend. I don't even know if he was a friend, an associate. He was around anyways. I think he generally was trying to help Job. And he had a lot of positive things to say. And how does Elihu finish? Elihu finishes trying to get Job's eyes back on God. Hey, Job, you said some things about God that just aren't right. You've come against him. He said he's not fair. Get your eyes back on God. Consider his awe, his awesome power. You see the storm coming in, Job? Consider God. And Elihu, he's trying to get his mind on God, and that's right. And Job, whether he wanted to or not, will get his mind directly on God next week as God steps in on the scene. So, We thank you guys for joining us. I know uh, some of this has been 
Job's not an easy book to go through because of the length of it. And it seems like many repetitiveness. But that's exactly what God wants us to do. And I believe we are to go verse by verse through the whole book of Job. Some like to skip through because of the repetitiveness. I don't think so. Because I think God wants us going through to get exhausted. Because that is what it is when you do things in your own power. When man tries to make a life for himself on his own. When uh, they try to go on their own strength. No need of God. You can, you can do things over and over. You can seek after satisfaction here. You can seek after satisfaction in a relationship with money, a job, a career, kids, whatever it may be. And it'll get exhausting because it does not bring satisfaction. Now, God has given us many things like that to enjoy. And there's certainly blessings that come with those things. But without a relationship with God, there is no rest. We live life exhausted as we try to figure out things and we banter back and forth in this nation. Because one side doesn't understand the other side and vice versa. And the banter just leaves us exhausted. Because we're trying to come up with solutions by man's ideas, man's heart, man's strength. Reality, we have no vigor, we have no strength, but through God. And that's the real reason we go through the book of Job. I hope it is exhausting to you. And I hope you stick it out. I hope you don't say, uh, well, this is exhausting. I've had enough of this. It's exhausting for a reason. And we go back and forth and back and forth because man does not have the answers until we get to the point with the friends. And Ella was mad at me saying, hey, you have nothing else to say? No, they didn't. They exhausted themselves. When we read last week, the words of Job have ended. He's done. Elihu had some things to say. Now he's done. They've all exhausted. And what did it do? What it usually does, does in our fight, in our division in this nation. Nothing changed. Job is still in a situation. His friends were miserable comforters and didn't change the situation. Nothing happened as a result of all that banter. Elihu speaks here. Nothing's changing as, as that banter. Uh, they, they all don't totally understand the situation. We as a nation need to get away from the banter back and forth and get our eyes upon God. We as individuals, I hope you decide today that whatever is going on in your life, the answer isn't trying to win an argument. The answer is found in the pages of the Bible and in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I hope you commit to him today, if you've never done it, that you receive Jesus as your Savior. All you have to do is ask him. Believe on the name of Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He will come in your life. And then you start opening a Bible and doing what it says, getting to a local church. And if you're already a believer, this year is time to get more serious about your faith. Not trying to win arguments, not trying to even win souls. Okay? Well, I thought we're supposed to win souls. Well, we're supposed to plant seeds. We're supposed to go and love upon people and share the word of God. But God is the one that wins souls. He's the one that draws them. He's who we need to get them to. We're not there to try to come against somebody's morality. Uh, we speak the truth and love uh, on what morality is. But God is the one that changes hearts. He needs to come in and, and do a, a surgery on our lives. He needs to change us. So again, we thank you for joining us here on the Steadfast Podcast. And hopefully we'll slow down a little bit next week um, because we're, God's going to enter the scene. Okay? And we got through this some of this hard stuff. But again, we thank you for joining us. Stay steadfast in the Lord. Stay committed to Him. Take heed to hear when you open the Word of God and when you come before Him. See you all next week. Magic, yeah, amazing, whoa. 
Jesus Christ, God's own soul, take me higher, lift me up, precious Lord, fill my cup.